and gentlemen, from Atlanta, Georgia, this is a broadcast of warning. This is not fiction. This is not a dramatization. Howdy. I bet you're all wondering why I've asked you here today. And it's uh, to tell you a story. You see, there's a story around these parts, kind of a legend. And if you're going to be out here camping, you ought to know it. Lore of the campfire, telling of his horror, lost in the woods with the madman. It's already uh, the fifth one of these things. It, it goes fast. It seems like I just started this. Uh, but it, we're already on to uh, numero cinco. <laughs> so uh, we got a good show for you. Uh, maybe. I don't know. We're, I'm going to roll the dice. And hopefully uh, we get a good show. Uh, you know, I didn't prepare too much. I got a few notes. But other than that, um, just... Just rolling in. <laughs> All right, off to a fucking great start. Stumbling over words already. <laughs> All right, so I want to get into the feedback right away. Uh, if you have some feedback, send it in. Uh, if you don't have any feedback, don't send it in. <laughs> or you can send me a blank email if you don't have any feedback. Uh, okay, so in terms of feedback, last week I read a, uh, a couple or at least one uh, spam email that was labeled like candid feedback, I think it was. I think that's what it was called. Anyway, so this week comes and I have never in the history of silver motion gotten an email that had any of the words feedback any nothing any kind of feedback never had an email like that I got one uh, last week candid feedback after I had talked about getting some feedback on the podcast and this week after I read that one I got two two I got one from Luna <laughs> with straightforward feedback and I got one from Jace, uh, who has uh, some more candid feedback. Both of them are spam, though. So I find it interesting. So 
the number of spam feedbacks has doubled. Let's see if next week I can get four candid, uh, straightforward uh, feedbacks <laughs> uh, from from random uh, robots. I'm doing well in the robot community. <laughs> I really grease their wheels. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. All right. So in terms of real feedback, um, my buddy Evan uh, sent in a comment on the first episode, and uh, Evan is actually the one that kind of pushed me, uh, not pushed me, but he said, hey, you should do a podcast. I heard you on the other podcast and uh, on the Forgotten Films podcast that I did uh, a little while ago. And, and he says, hey, you know, you were pretty good. You should, uh, you should consider one of your own. And that was pretty much all the push I needed because I have honestly been thinking about doing this for a while, uh, but I never wanted to do it on my own. But uh, the little push made me say, eh, fuck it. So Evan uh, says, nice job. The podcast is informative, funny, light, loose, deep, and dope all at the same time. All right. (laughs) He says, great podcast right out of the gate. I'm glad that I can listen to your reviews, because I can't read good. Keep them coming. Well, they're coming, uh, whether you like it or not. (laughs) But hopefully, uh, you continue to like it. Um, Steven sent in some feedback uh, in regards to my mention of Junji Ito's Uzumaki manga. And uh, actually, I I should point you guys to... Uh, the website of Evan Para, uh, evanparafx.com, and he has created a, a mask based on uh, Uzumaki uh, called, I think it's called Snail Girl. It's a girl uh, turning into a snail. It's fucking dope. It really captures the, the Junji Ito uh, uh, kind of style, sort of weirdness. Uh, I don't have the right word for it. I don't know. But it's it's a great mask. He's a great FX artist. And uh, his work is going to be seen pretty soon uh, when Troma releases Return to Nukem High Volume 2. Or uh, as they're calling it now, Return to Return to Nukem High, a.k.a. Volume 2. So uh, I, I can't wait for that. He did some uh, some good work in that. Uh, from what I have seen of it, you can see some of that in the new trailer that Trauma put out not too long ago. Um, and and that trailer is very much a uh, watch it with the kids uh, kind of trailer. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so Stephen said uh, that he had heard of Uzumaki before. And uh, when he looked into it, he actually uh, had already had the movie lined up in Netflix, so uh, he hopes to see it someday. And as I, I, I replied to the comment on <laughs> on the website, and uh, it, that's not a good move, man. Don't bother seeing the movie. It's really bad. It's it's. It's bad. Uh, for one, they the manga 
or the manga. <laughs> I can't say manga. It's too, I feel fucking stupid. But um, the comic, the storyline in Junji Ito's stories is always um, not necessarily straight linear. It's more like little short stories, but they all kind of build on one another. Like, for instance, in Uzumaki, there's a story specifically about one kid that turns into a snail. And that's like the first snail person that you see in the story. And then as the stories progress later on, there's more people that are turning into snails. But um, it's not like a linear... There is a progression to it, but it's not, you know, like plot point to plot point, like a, a traditional novel or anything like that. So what the, the movie does is it tries to take as many of those elements of those little short story pieces that are kind of self-contained within this grander world and story arc and then try to craft a single story arc with like maybe four or five um, of the main stories from the comic and it uh, it works i mean i guess it works relatively well but it's in terms of just like storytelling but but the the movie is just fucking ugly. <laughs> it's like everything is all green and gross looking, like, and not in a good gross way, like, like the the, the comic is. But um, I don't know how to describe it. There's a couple of, of instances where they really capture like the idea and the and the style of uh, Ito's art, but. It just, it really doesn't capture it. Um, but if you're curious, I mean, I guess I can't dissuade you from watching it. And I I have seen people write uh, good reviews of it. So, you know, maybe maybe you will like it. I don't know. I don't know if these people read the, the, the comic first, though. I, I'm unsure. But I don't think, ha I don't think anybody could read the comic and then watch that and think it was a fair adaptation. And then in terms of Gyo, uh, Steven says that uh, he has been interested in that since he heard about the anime uh, adaptation called Gyo Tokyo Fish Attack, uh, which by the title alone has to be worth watching, he says. Again, it's not, it's a piece of shit. It's a, a horrible adaptation. The comic is fucking brilliant amazing fantastic stuff uh, like it's it's similar in the way that it's little self-contained stories that that build on each other gyo is a little bit more linear but um it's still similar uh, to uzumaki but just not as self-contained little stories as uzumaki anyway so <laughs> Um, the, the anime kind of restructures everything because in, in the, in the book, uh, 
there's kind of a slow build to uh, what could be termed the Tokyo fish attack. That's kind of like, I, don't, I mean, that's a ways into the book when that actually happens. And so instead of actually respecting that build that's really good and, and, and there's always some new element being discovered and, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a good build. Builds are important so that then when the release comes, it's it's meaningful. But <laughs> the, the fucking anime, literally, like, the, the fucking fish attacking Tokyo on a wide scale is, like, right away. It's like the first thing that happens, almost. It's crazy. They also change a bunch of characters around. They add a bunch of characters. They kind of... Uh, restructure it into like this uh, teens in a house kind of traditional horror movie structure and like the the original story is nothing like that and it's not really built for that so it's just really bad um, but then uh, going back to Steven's feedback he says that uh, the DVD is released by a company called Anaplex and they are the king of overpriced anime bullshit I, I don't know them specifically, uh, but I do know that that fucking DVD is expensive as shit. Um, and how I ended up getting it is because I was buying some Kung Fu DVDs from a company in the UK called Terracotta Distribution. They've been putting out, um, they have a little line of classic Kung Fu movies, uh, two of which are uh, Cheng Che movies that he made after... Uh, he left Shaw Brothers, um, and they're all, like, remastered, and they look fucking great. Uh, and, uh, anyway, I don't want to get it too down the rabbit hole with that. But anyway, they also put out Gyo in the UK, and since I can play all regions of DVDs, I'm not blocked by that. Um, their version of the DVD was only $3, so I, I hit that one up watched it really had a bad reaction it's like god i imported this piece of shit and then i sold it on ebay so i don't have to look at it any longer so um and then steven goes on to say that he did not realize that the two stories uzumaki and gyo were the same guy um so he's he ends on on the the sentiment of I should just track down the manga instead, and I agree. So do that. Uh, I got them from the library. I don't know about the libraries around you, but give them a shot. Um, if you don't want to buy it, because I know the books, I think, are pretty expensive. They have, like, a one-volume edition of all of them. Not all of them together, but, like, each one has its own one-volume edition. Anyway... Uh, that's enough. I mean, I'm already at like 15 minutes, and what have I talked about? Some feedback and Junji Ito. Well, that's not too bad. Uh, and then let me see what Uncle Jasper said. I don't. I, I feel weird like <laughs> going through uh, like e like comments from my friends. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, my buddy Jasper, Uncle Jasper, uh, formerly, 
<laughs> said that he was uh, started listening to the last episode while he was driving, and he was literally in tears from the uh, the intro that I did with the little Dracula thing, the little uh, as I call it the ear movie. <laughs> so I, I'm very glad you enjoyed that. That uh, amused me to no end. I've listened to it about a, a thousand times already. Like, oh, that's so funny. Uh, um, so then, uh, anyway, he goes on to say that it was a great show and that it was personally his favorite because it reminds him of our conversations uh, back in the day when we would uh, throw movies out back and forth to each other and just describing, you know, great or not so great parts of them. And then uh, his, he says, your enthusiasm really shines through and it's infectious as shit. And let me tell you, shit is infectious. Like, literally. So, I, I, I really hope that this is a true statement and that I am inspiring uh, literal enthusiasm in, in my listeners. Because I am very excited about movies and I'm very excited about putting uh, that energy into the podcast. Uh, my, my energy level is probably a little higher in this one than in previous podcasts. And I'll give you a little inside podcast uh, business knowledge here. Usually I record the podcast at night, like 11, 12, midnight, you know, like late at night. Because of uh, my my work situation, I work at home, I take care of my wife, uh, and that's a very kind of demanding uh, gig. So uh, usually I, I record the podcast when um, I put her to bed, and then I have a little bit of time where I can do my thing. So I do the podcast then, but I'm trying, I mean, I'm in a different room across the way, but I... I, I I still, you know, it's night, so I'm not, like, super loud. Today, uh, she went out uh, to eat with with the fam, so, uh, and I'm here having a little day off, and it's the middle of the day, and so I'm a little more jazzed up, so don't get used to it, though, because I can't guarantee that this kind of energy, manic energy, will, uh, will continue. So that's the feedback, I think. Did, did, did Jasper say any more? I don't think so. Well, he did, but... Um, he's, oh, I, I do want to say this. Jasper says, I can see some people not appreciating that, the enthusiasm and the sort of uh, broad conversation about you know a random assortment of movies like I did last time with the 1980 stuff. Um and I can see people wanting uh, a more structured show, but fuck them. <laughs> and I agree with that. Fuck them. <laughs> if you don't like the show, then we don't need you. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say that he loves the rambling and the hopping from one movie to the next and the freedom that that gives uh, to me, the podcaster. Uh, and I also seem to be getting more comfortable and natural in front of the mic. And so thanks. I really appreciate that. And I will continue uh, to try to move forward. Uh, and I do I do definitely want to continue doing 
the 80s horror movie ramble what did i call it on the thing ramblegeddon <laughs> uh so i do want to do that i thought maybe i would be able to do one after the feature today but i'm already at 20 minutes and so i don't <laughs> i don't really see that happening at this point in the game okay so let's get into uh, the feature discussion, but first, I have a sponsor. Yes, after uh, only only on the fifth episode here, I've already got a sponsor. So I'll uh, I'll be back with the feature discussion on Kuei Chi Hung's The Boxer's Omen uh, after this. Great taste for today. Tastes great every way. Can't get enough. The taste that makes you hungry for more. Enough is never enough. The stuff. Taste that delivers. All right, welcome back. Uh, the time is now. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Um, the time has come for the featured film uh, Rambling. And today it's going to be on the 1983 Shaw Brothers movie, uh, The Boxer's Omen, directed by Kuei Chi Hung. And uh, this is a sequel to the 1981 Kuei Chi Hung film, Bewitched, which I uh, talked a little bit about uh, last week on, on last week's episode. And so... The reason why that I wanted to talk about uh, Boxer's Omen is because when I rewatched it this week, uh, originally when I saw it, I thought it was inferior to Bewitched because uh, Bewitched has this slow build that sort of reaches this crescendo, and it's uh, it's a very well structured, like classically uh, made dope ass black magic movie and it follows the basic um, structure of the black magic movie in that uh, it's about some kind of moral retribution you know like in in bewitched there's a guy who does a girl wrong he promises you know to come back and acts like he loves the girl but in actuality he uh, was just looking for a fling and so when he went back to hong kong he didn't think anything about her anymore other than to brag to his friends and so then uh, she places the curse on him and then you know he gets his uh, over the course of the movie basically and that's a traditional sort of uh, structure um for black magic movies for at least hong kong black magic movies um and so when I first saw Boxer's Omen, I don't know that I expected the same structure, but um, I thought that the the, the original the uh, original uh, when I watched Boxer's Omen the first time, I I thought that the structure of it was kind of strange in that it starts off basically at the same level that bewitched ends at this really high level of crazy 
and then it continues to go up through the whole movie and then it ends and it's never not been crazy the entire movie it's just literally from one crazy visual experience to the next and so i was a little uh exhausted the first time i saw it by the time that i got to the end i was just like oh my god how much crazy shit can there be packed into one movie you know what the fuck and there's like the 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 story that's wrapped around uh all of the crazy is kind of shaky at best uh, it's about a there's a boxer who uh, at the beginning of the movie fights uh, the thai boxing champion who is played by uh, bolo young uh, the great bolo young one of my all-time favorites and uh, he should be yours as well if, if you're not a bolo young fan i don't know uh, what you're doing with your life but you really should uh, rethink uh, everything every decision you've ever made basically uh if you're not a fan of bolo young um <laughs> uh but really i mean bolo young really is one of those defining like keys of a person's foundation you know i mean when i look back at blood sport i was thinking about this the other day i I think that Bloodsport was the first martial arts movie I ever watched. I'm not sure. And I may, I may have seen um, Fist of Fury, the, the, the Bruce Lee movie, or Enter the Dragon first, but I don't think so. Because I know we had a VHS of, of Chinese Connection, it was called, uh, but it, Fist of Fury is the real title. Um but I'm pretty sure I saw Bloodsport before I saw those. In any case, Bloodsport was the first martial arts movie that I absolutely loved and totally responded to. If I had seen a few before then, they didn't resonate in the way that Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bolo Young just hit me like a million uh demox <laughs> is that what that thing is called when he breaks the the fucking brick <laughs> demox <laughs> i think that's what it's called anyway um that fucking movie blew me away and bolo young's performance as chong lee is hands down one of the best villain performances in a movie ever ever i don't care what anybody says that that fucking villain performance is one of the best uh another on that list would have to be alan rickman as hans gruber in die hard um i don't know who else it would be off the top of my head but those two would definitely be at the top for me uh but anyway so bolo in the boxer's omen plays a thai boxer and he basically cripples uh, this boxer, this uh, Hong Kong boxer that he is fighting. And so his brother now is um, 
faced with uh, the idea of trying to get revenge against Bolo Young. But at the same time, he is seeing visions of a Buddhist monk and seeing like this upside down V kind of symbol in the air like you know like you're just seeing these lights you know it's in the movie it's portrayed as like a just big golden sort of upside down v and so you know he's he's a little uh <laughs> i don't know where i'm going with this but like you know it's not just a straight revenge movie so like he he needs to get revenge against against uh, Bolo Young, but he's also seeing these visions, and I don't remember exactly how, but but I think he, he needs to go to Thailand to fight Bolo Young, so he goes there, and on the way, while he's there, rolling around, um, he starts seeing visions again while he's there that lead him to this temple, and then he goes to the temple, and a monk at the temple... Um, sort of informs him that the abbot, uh, the previous abbot, who is now dead, um, foretold of this guy's, uh, this guy coming to the abbey, and that he would, um, he would uh, help them and become a monk. So, <laughs> so this dude becomes a monk and gets uh, indoctrinated in into this, well, not indoctrinate, I don't know, That's that has a negative sort of tone, but anyway, he, he becomes a monk, and the reason that he becomes a monk is because he was foretold to, to come and help the abbot, who, uh, the abbot is the Buddhist monk from Bewitched, who battled, uh, the, the evil black magic practitioner, or a black, ma black magician, who, uh, his his the the evil spirit animal of him was the bat, and so in Bewitched we just know that there's the abbot and this dude that uh, is really like into bats. We don't know anything else about the world. It's just that's all we know. It's just in, in Bewitched. It's a basic moral tale of you know you you shouldn't do these sort of things you shouldn't have these sort of flings when you're already engaged you should just uh you know you should be a good person otherwise you might get afflicted by these crazy black magic spells and so then you see the the two magicians on either side of that uh, battling for uh this guy's soul basically and so it's a fairly standard structure uh, for these types of stories, but be, but but Boxer's Omen, uh, there's no need for Kuei Hung to repeat the same story. It's a sequel, but the the story of Boxer's Omen is not. Um, it doesn't necessarily need a direct sequel or anything like that. Um, but what it does need is an expansion of the world. So one of the first things that we see when um, 
the dude. I should get his name because just saying the dude is kind of <laughs> it's kind of dumb. Uh, his name is Chan Hung, and he is played by Philip Kofei, who is a, a very famous uh, Hong Kong uh, actor, and uh, he's apparently directed 48 movies too. Jesus Christ. They're bi they're fucking busy in Hong Kong, man. They don't they don't fuck around. He did action directing on 46 movies, produced a bunch of movies, and he was in 243 movies. Jesus Christ! Like I said, man, they don't fuck around in Hong Kong. Um, looks like he started out as a as an extra in the Shaw Brothers, uh, working in uh, on the Chang Che movies, The Singing Killer as an extra. And the Deadly Duo, Anonymous Heroes, Duel of Fists, basically all Chang Chang movies until you get up to that. So anyway, whatever. Anyway, he's he's a big, you know, he's a known quantity. People like him. I like him. Um, and he he plays Chan Hung in the Boxer Drama. So when he goes to the temple, the monk there explains the situation with the abbot, how uh, the the abbot defeated the bat guy, and they show uh, a little piece of the very final scene in Bewitched, where where he's destroying the bat guy. Um, but directly after that, in between Bewitched and Boxer's Omen, we, you know, because this is a flashback in between the movies, I don't know how to... <laughs> I'm confused now, but I know what it is, but I don't know that I'm conveying it to you guys uh, properly. But anyway, uh, so the, the the monk is telling this story to uh, Chan Hung. And he says, well, and after the abbot took out this bat guy, then uh, this other uh, black magic practitioner created this poison and uh, injected it basically... It's way more elaborate than that, but he got it into the abbot's eyes. The abbot was very close to achieving enlightenment and and immortality, but because of this poison that was put into his eyes, this very serious poison, um, now the abbot is unable to achieve immortality, and he died because of the poison. But there is a way to break that spell and allow the abbot to achieve immortality, um, and that's where Chan Hung comes in, because uh, Chan Hung has been foretold to to come, become a monk, learn how to fight black magic, and then uh, do the deed, basically, and take out these black magicians. And so what we learn also in that flashback is that the guy who makes the poison and delivers it to the abbot is like one level up from the bat guy. He's he's the bat guy's leader or teacher or whatever. And so when we see his little layout, his, his little uh, black magic temple, it's got this big statue of like Satan or whatever the... the black magic equivalent of Satan is and then he has four idols 
uh, each representing a different animal. And one of them is the bat, and I don't remember what the other three are. Anyway, so, so what Bakhtar-Zoman is essentially doing is instead of trying to just, oh, this is just another story in this world or, or whatever, it's, it's pulling it back from like, yeah, there's, there's these moral uh, tales going on within the world. And, and, uh, but in a, in, if you take it back a step, there's a much wider radius of these of these uh, magicians around Southeast Asia. So basically, uh, what I'm trying to get at is that Bewitched is almost Jesus fucking Christ. All right, so what I'm trying to get at basically is that Bewitched is like an introductory. Uh, black magic movie it's almost like a remake of like black magic the the homing hua uh, movie from like what 75 i think it was um which basically introduced the the general black magic movie and the general framework that uh pretty you know that they all kind of work from usually um, and so Bewitched is not a remake of that movie, but in, in a general sense, it's remaking the idea of just the introductory black magic movie and, and bringing it up from 1975 standards um, because a lot, of, a lot of black magic is like shot on the Shaw, the Shaw studio and there's some kind of questionable... Uh, shitty effects that I love and I don't have any problem with but uh, compared to something like Bewitched you know the effects are, are way better in Bewitched way more gooey and ooey and nice to uh, populate your nightmares with um, so in that sense like bringing something up to the 80s in terms of special effects and stuff like that so if bewitched is this kind of uh redo on a classic formula then now you've been introduced to it and boxer's omen is the next step from that we don't need to reintroduce you we're just gonna go fucking crazy in this world that i've set up already in bewitched and so the storyline in Boxer's Omen is just an, it's almost like an afterthought. It's just this little tiny piece to get this guy to become a monk and to just facilitate certain scenes and to allow for certain uh, coincidences and other things to happen. But the actual story itself is not a big deal. I mean, when he actually goes up and confronts bolo it's it's a dope scene i love it but like it's just one scene in the middle between this other scene like i i need to talk more in, in specifics but i don't want to ruin it but like it's not like the climactic scene of the movie it is just uh, a gateway 
to the next crazy black magic scene. So it's clear that like that revenge is basically the plot. And I'm sure the back of the DVD only talks about that revenge plot, but like, it's really not the focus of the movie and it doesn't really matter. And so in seeing Dr. Zoman again, uh, right after I saw Bewitched last week, it really uh, allowed me to see how amazingly great of a movie that Boxer's Omen is. It artistically is going in a completely different direction, just like turning all the knobs up to 11 and just going fucking crazy. And it, it's a fucking blast. And I do think that, like, the wizard battle that's in the middle-ish part of Bewitched, I think that's, like, my favorite scene of either two movies. Um, I, I love everything about that scene. But, like, it, the there's so much crazy shit in Boxer's Roman. It's such a blast. And I didn't get exhausted at all this time. I was just, like, totally eating it up. It was so fun. Um... But, like, you know, there's just, like, the guy in Bewitched who's drinking from that vat of blood and intestines and fetuses and stuff, like, man, I mean, nothing in Boxer's Omen uh, makes me smile <laughs> like that shit does. And there's some really great stuff, crazy shit in Boxer's Omen where, like, fucking alligator skulls are animated and like attacking uh philip cofay and like this fucking alien head with like these spaghetti intestines starts fucking flying at him and all kinds of crazy shit it's fucking great man and and the the bad the bad guy in this movie the the main like head honcho black magic dude i mean he does all kinds of crazy shit too i mean he's he like grabs these fucking rats out of this vat of where they were just like feeding on fucking human uh intestines or some kind of viscera and and he just grabs this rat out of there and just bites its fucking stomach live <laughs> And there's other parts where he's like eating chicken guts from fresh killed chickens and then like all kinds of shit and then just like vomiting it up and shit <laughs> like like vomiting it up to make some kind of a paste to then add it to a spell like all kinds of like really crazy fun disgusting shit um, but like I don't know, none of it really just captures my imagination quite like that that fucking gigantic vat full of intestines and fetuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, having seen them both side by side and, and artistically seeing them in this new light... I gotta say that Boxer's Omen is really, as far as I've seen, um, the crowning achievement of the Shaw Horror catalog and of Black Magic movies. It is a tour de force. It is fantastic. And I mean, maybe there's other ones that I haven't seen that are better, 
but I doubt it because the movie moves with such a relentless manic energy. It's visually just filled to the brim with some of the most beautiful images, the most disgusting images, all kinds of shit. It's it's a fucking great movie. It's very skillfully made and put together. It's the effects work is fucking fantastic again with the fx stuff i mean if you don't like uh kind of shitty effects i don't i don't want to say that they're shitty because they're not shitty they're good but like they're perhaps uh a bit more on the campy side in in certain cases um and so some people might not uh agree with that but you know i don't know whatever anyway but like like you know how there's the eternal argument of which is better godfather one or godfather two and uh the first one is really great the second one is fucking amazing which one is better though i don't know like is the second one only as good as it is because it's building on the first one like as a standalone movie would it work in the same way without that previous movie coming before it and that's kind of how i feel about bewitched and boxer's omen boxer's omen is a fucking brilliant movie but it really comes into its own um in the way that it expands this little black magic world that Chi hung has has uh constructed within the two movies Whereas Bewitched, as much as I like it, um, it's really just working within that kind of uh, traditional framework. And it's almost like I mentioned, I think, uh, last week, I mentioned that it was kind of documentary-like in the way that it kind of approaches the spells where the spells are named and then kind of the, the way that they're constructed is talked about or told to the audience in boxer's omen there's there's nothing like we still see the creation of spells and a lot of those spells are very elaborately produced but there's no filter between the audience and that spell so we're just we're in it we're we're we've just fucking dropped into this world of black magic and you know like we're fucking deep in the black magic shit and it's this so fucking fun i love it i love it love it love it i love it love it love it love it <laughs> it's um you know it's and it's one of those things that within the context like if you just see this movie it's a crazy what the fuck movie and you know it's this kind of movie that people can go oh my god what the fuck was anybody thinking making that fucking movie it's so crazy but uh within context of like hong kong horror movies and the time that it was made and sort of this understanding of like of how the two movies uh work together and like obviously there's like cultural uh differences that i don't understand or that i may never understand but i feel like i'm 
I, I have a little bit more understanding of these sort of things because I do watch a lot of, of Hong Kong movies, like a ton of Hong Kong movies. So, like, my interpretation of something is going to be... I mean, I don't want to act like I'm better or whatever, but just, like, the, the idea that I have some knowledge behind whatever I'm watching. Like, I remember there's a movie, a, a pretty modern movie... Um, I don't know, a few years ago called Let the Bullets Fly. And there's a scene in that movie that's just so fucking hilarious where this guy is trying to prove that he didn't steal something. And so, and it's a pretty tame movie. Like, it's not it's not a horror movie. It's like an action comedy. And it's mostly just a comedy. And so, and this guy is trying to prove this and nobody will believe him. So the dude takes a knife, fucking guts himself, and pulls out his stomach, like, in the fucking contents of his stomach, and he's like, look, I didn't steal it, because I guess they were, they were saying, like, that he swallowed it or some shit, <laughs> and he fucking cuts his stomach out, and I was dying laughing, it was so fucking great, <laughs> but I remember at the time when I saw it, I read a couple reviews, it was right probably in the first year or so of, of me starting the site, so I was a little more active in reading other people's reviews. And, like, a, a lot of the reviews that I saw were just like, what the fuck is this? It's just so tonally wrong, and why did it have to be so gory? And it's like, ah, oh, man, that's like, that's like classic fucking Hong Kong shit. <laughs> anyway, all I'm trying to say is that in watching a lot of certain things, you get more of an understanding and I think that understanding is very important to really cracking uh, foreign movies because without that context, um, you know, they're not the same. You can't, like, watch a Hong Kong movie and expect a Western movie like the west uh you know like white people you can't like expect a western style movie like a hollywood style movie because they're not they're hong kong um the modern movies are a little bit more hollywood styled as they kind of move towards these western styled movies they, they do make movies that are a lot more like hollywood movies now which is why i don't really like the modern movies a lot I don't seek them out in the same with the same veracity that I do with the old stuff. Um, and and I gotta say, rewatching all these Jackie Chan movies for the site, uh, it really seems like Jackie kind of led that charge of of because throughout the '90s, like his movies got progressively more and more Americanized in, within his Hong Kong movies, and I wrote about it a lot in those reviews, so go read those reviews if you want more information. But, like, as he sort of uh, moved his style of filmmaking more towards Hollywood in an effort to break into Hollywood, and then he did it, and he broke into Hollywood and became a big star, I feel like the industry as a whole was looking at that and saying, hey, we can make movies that appeal beyond Hong Kong uh, in, a, in a greater way than ever before, like Jackie Chan has done. And so 
let's kind of try to move forward. And like, so a lot of movies now are, are way more polished and I don't know. I mean, it's the times too with the CG and stuff like that. But it's just, uh, I don't know. Anyway. Um, so is that, is that it on Boxer's Omen? Oh, I did want to say with Kui Chi Hung, I am a huge fan of Kui Chi Hung. I, if you haven't picked up on that, um, I've probably talked about him in, in more than a couple of these podcasts, at least a little bit. And, uh, I, did, I recently learned about the end of his career and it's really sad. <laughs> so let's end on this sad note. He only made one more movie after Boxer's Omen. Uh, it's a 1984 movie, so the next year, uh, and it's called Misfire. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. But from what I gather, it was not a success, and he had a bad time making it. Um, and so he, but he had been working in the industry uh, for probably about 15 or 20 years at that point. Um, as a director for at least uh, 12 or 13 or something like that. Anyway, uh, he was very dissatisfied with uh, his level of respect within the industry. Like, he thought that his movies were good enough to, to have achieved some level of cred, but apparently he just wasn't given that at least not to the level that he thought. So when he made Misfire, um, and I believe it was made outside of the Shaw Brothers studio, and so he was so accustomed to working within that structure, even though he didn't like working at the actual studio, he liked shooting on location. Um, the machine of Shaw churning out scripts and having all of these the crew members and the actors and everybody uh ready to go you know always um it he was so used to that and so then in trying to break out of that he didn't really like it and then he didn't get the response that he thought he was due so he just quit he just quit movies and he moved uh, to, I believe, Canada, or somewhere in the U.S. or Canada. I think it was Canada. And I should probably have this knowledge before I start talking about it. But anyway, he moved over here in the, the North America somewhere. Uh, he opened a store, and I, I believe it was like a grocery store or something like that. And so he opened this store, and he ran it for a few years. Um, at least, you know, a few years. And then he died in 1999 of liver cancer, having never made another movie, and I, as far as I know, never knowing that he was, that he became this, like, well-regarded uh, cult director within the Shaw catalog. Um, because, like, Celestial didn't start remastering the movies and putting them on DVD until maybe like 2003, 2004, something like that. And so with that, a lot of his movies that most people had never seen, 
because they just played in Hong Kong and then never got released in America or anything. Like now they were on DVD and they were available and people were watching them and being amazed by them. But he had already perished and I it's so sad because this guy is seriously it's a fucking amazing director really really worth uh worth a, a good amount of respect and so it's just sad so on that note um I'm gonna get ready for the uh the, the segment is it good or is it shit but first, uh, a word from our sponsors. When I was a little girl, I didn't think there was anything that I liked better than ice cream. Now I'm a big girl, and I've decided there's something I like better, much better. It's called the stuff. And believe me, enough is never enough. All right, welcome back. It's time for that part of the show where I determine uh, if, if the movies I saw this week are good or if they are pieces of shit. So first up, we have a movie from 1987 uh, called The Outing. It was originally called The Lamp, uh, which is a much more fitting title, but for some reason it was edited and uh, when it came out in the U.S., it was it was called The Outing. Uh, I don't know why. Well, I know why it was called The Outing, because there's kids that go on a field trip, but the it, it's such a minor... I mean, it's not the... I don't know. I mean, it figures into it, but it's... I don't know. It's a stupid title. Anyway, The, the Lamp is supposedly um, a, a better movie, but it's not available. So I don't know. Uh, anyway, it's a it's a movie about <laughs> okay. Uh, it's it's a movie about a magic lamp and a genie, and because it's a horror movie, the genie is evil, uh, which is sounds good. Hey, why not? You know, I mean, it it sold me enough to watch the movie, but. It's not a good movie. It really isn't. It's an okay movie. It has potential. There's some really great stuff towards the end when the genie um, gets angry and uh, big climax. There's some good effects stuff then, but it's 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 still not great. Um, and it, by that point, it's far too little, too late. Um, it's just, and, and, and the thing that's really bothersome about it is that it, it's obvious that they had a good amount of money, and I looked into it, and the budget on this was apparently 3.7 million, which in 1987 was a pretty high budget for just some little shit horror movie, um, and they just completely squandered it. Like, just out of curiosity, there's a movie called The Gate from 1987, the same year. And that movie is fucking amazing. Like, you want to see a dope-ass horror movie with some amazing effects, watch The Gate, right? The budget of The Gate was apparently 
2.5 million. So the outing had an extra 1.2 million dollars at its disposal the same year, potentially, you know, could have been an equally good movie if not better based on the money and it's an absolute fucking <laughs> like compared to the gate it's a total piece of shit i really should have just watched the gate again um anyway uh so it's all right i mean if i'm being objective it's an all right movie but i'm gonna call it a piece of shit because i don't really ever want to see it again <laughs> okay uh, what's what did I watch next? Next up, I I rewatched The Fog from 1980, uh, John Carpenter movie. Last week I talked about not having seen it in many years. So uh, what the hell? I I rewatched it this week, and I gotta say, I mean, I haven't seen it in like 20 years, but it fucking blew me away. It was yeah, that's a dope ass movie. Just straight up classic ghost story really well done it's john carpenter so you know i mean i'm a huge fan so i mean he's already got me right in his little hip pocket um but i mean it's really a good movie really well done it's it's slow it is slow but i didn't it didn't bother me in any way it, like the slowness was perfect for uh, the story and the type of movie that uh, Carpenter was going for. I remember when I, when I saw it back in the day, when I, I don't know, I was probably a teenager. I mean, 20 years ago, yeah, I was definitely a teenager. Um, I don't think it was quite 20 years, but whatever. Who cares? Um, anyway, I was young, and I liked it back then, but I thought that it was really, like, slow and boring and... and you know there was good stuff about it, but it didn't do anything for me. In 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 the in the same way that like Big Trouble in Little China or uh, Halloween or Assault on Precinct 13 or you know or 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 all those other John Carpenter movies that I love. Um, but but seeing it now, it was just like wow, it's not slow or boring at all. It's really really well done, and. I, I just want to um, kind of spotlight the fog itself in the movie. Um, the way that it's it's shot and the way that it, it comes across in the movie, um, I mean, it's just fog on a set or, you know, on an on outdoors somewhere. It's just fog. It's just guys with machines blowing fog right um what really hit me is i watched the movie and i was fully enthralled and then i watched a little behind the scenes thing um where specifically about the fog and it didn't have it wasn't a documentary it was just like extra fx footage of of the guys like working with it and trying to get it to work and do tests and stuff um and so when I was watching that and just seeing how 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 normal that footage looked of just guys blowing the fog around and trying to get it to, to move right and do what they wanted it. And then there's a lot of lighting that went into the fog to like give it this kind of aura. And just trying that kind of stuff out and seeing it 
when it's not in a movie, just seeing it as just footage, you know, uh, just just back behind the scenes footage. It's so like, <laughs> it's just like uh, it's robbed of like all of its power in those moments. And so then seeing seeing that made me realize just how powerful uh, the images of the fog in the movie are and how well realized that is and like carpenter and the fx guys um made the fog in the movie feel like the sentient character that was moving with purpose and it, it wasn't just fog it wasn't just this naturally occurring occurring thing it was like it was the these characters that are coming out of the fog it was them like embodied and moving and it was i don't know i mean it's it's really powerful stuff and just really uh enthralling to watch and it's just like it's fucking movie magic man <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you don't hear movie magic anymore in terms of cg because there's not it's not really magic anymore like computers are amazing and they do amazing things and there's a lot of work that goes into into cg and like compositing real actors with the cg effects and the backgrounds and all this and like i get it i i understand it and i don't um i don't like knock it it's it's a it's a valid profession and there's a lot of real hard work that goes into that much many more hours than than traditional effects for sure um but like there's something about real guys on a set creating illusions just like magi magicians you know like these guys, these are just dudes with fog and lights. And then I watch a movie and I really think that like <laughs> these fucking ghosts are assaulting this town. It's fucking movie magic, you know? There's no trickery involved that's superhuman. We know that like everything that's occurring on screen in a movie that's pre CG is the direct result of like a human's handiwork and that's there's something palpable about that in old movies and it's something that makes me absolutely love um just seeing that craftsmanship i mean i'm into effects um i've, I've been into effects for many years i always like special effects movies but then uh, when I was in school with with Evan, you know, he introduced me to like Fangoria's and and stuff like that. So I was, and he was really into FX back then, um, talking about it all the time. So then when I would look through the Fangoria's and you'd see how things were created, and he had the the Tom Savini books, um, which I have since bought my own copies of because they're like so fucking fun to look through. And you just see like how all these illusions happen, and it didn't break any of that magic for me. It's it it makes it even more impressive. Um, so anyway, the fucking fog, that's a dope movie. Definitely uh, good. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, 
wow, these things are getting long. They used to be really short. Um, okay, let's see if I can do a short one. Uh, I don't know about this one. The next one is a, a movie, uh, an Indonesian movie called Mystics in Bali. And this is kind of a movie with a legend. I had heard about this movie for a long time. It's a black magic movie out of Indonesia, and it's kind of uh, got this reputation of being real crazy and like off the wall, sort of uh, sort of a WTF movie. Um, like the legend is similar to something like Boxer's Omen, where people like white people or people in the west watch it and they go oh my god what is this where does this come from you know and a lot of it is coming from uh the cultural differences you know the the myths or whatever that that define indonesian culture in this case so it's it was pretty hyped up and there's there's a A monster in this movie that's on the cover and it's basically a flying head with like uh, body organs attached and flying under it so like big old pair of lungs and like some guts and the heart or whatever it's not it's not super distinguished it's just a bunch of organs and shit and it flies around and this is like a, a legitimate um, thing in I believe Indonesian culture and if I am not mistaken it is called a krasu and that sounds like it's pronouncing it wrong yeah krasu um, it manifests itself as a woman usually young and beautiful with her turtle organs hanging down from the neck trailing below the head fucking so, you know, I've heard a lot about this thing, um, but man, Mystics in Bali was some fucking, that was kind of, oh, it was a shitty movie. I mean, there's some parts that, that get crazy, like they, they transform into pigs um, at one point, and that's like... The effects are real shoddy, but but it's okay. It's it's very charming um, and like homespun, and I like that kind of stuff. So it didn't bother me at all. But anyway, like they slowly transform into pigs in various stages, and then the final stage—not the final stage, but the, the, right before the final stage—they're in like this big giant man-sized pig suit, and they're just like standing. <laughs> So, and it's all like dirty and slimy looking so it looks it looked pretty cool and then they get on all fours and then they cut to like a close-up and they're it's just live pigs now you know so there's stuff like that that's pretty cool and and the flying head stuff is 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 good um when when the head when they need a close-up of the head because i guess the the fake head didn't look great or whatever but whenever they need a close-up of the head it's a, a, a background shot with a shot of the actress, like, video edited in, so the quality is, is like, public access. <laughs> and then you see, like, the actress's head with these fucking organs hanging. 
and it's doing some shit. That, like probably the craziest shit is is I think the first time that the head flies and it goes into this house where there's a pregnant woman giving birth and the head fucking goes between her legs uh like the like the 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 villain of reanimator basically if you've seen that and goes between her legs and like sucks the the baby you don't see any of it you just see the head go down and then the belly of the woman like just slowly deflates and so you are uh, led to believe that she's sucking the baby out and so that was I enjoyed that that was fun um, but but man it's like 90 minutes and the the cool effects stuff is like I don't know five minutes and the rest of it is just horrible like just horrible movie it's like the the story is fucking ridiculous dumb like it's not even a story the first part of the movie is this white girl and she's like oh i've learned all about voodoo so now i want to learn black magic and so the and then this indonesian dude is like oh i will hook you up with a black magic uh, teacher and then like they go see this old lady and then she just starts dancing and then they act like the girl like learned a bunch of magic <laughs> and it's like what the fuck happened i don't know it's pretty fucking stupid like and i you know i mean i can hang with the dumb movie but man it's pretty bad and and uh to make it worse for me uh it's only available uh dubbed in english and the dub is really shitty so that really kills it for me i i i i I really have a hard time watching dubs anymore and yeah this one was fucking so uh despite the legend um i'm gonna call it shit uh i will say that i i want to you know like boxer's omen is like a million times more crazy than this and so that movie should have the big legend as being this crazy movie but i bet you because it never got released to home the home market like i i don't know if it got a vhs release like in hong kong or something but as far as i know i mean it was pretty just like gone until celestial put out the dvd so i bet you just nobody knew about it and then it came out and then now like mystics and bali is is kind of uh you know totally overshadowed by it anyway i i I wouldn't recommend it even even if you're like hardcore into black magic movies like me like where you you gotta see it all i i would advise against it honestly but there are a lot of people that like it so i don't know whatever uh if you see it or if you have seen it uh, let me know give me some feedback on it uh maybe i missed the point of it or something and so i got a couple more try to go fast uh well whatever who cares this thing can be fucking four hours long i'm gonna do a fucking hour on the next movie
<laughs> so uh, to go along with with the and I didn't plan this at all, but after Mystics in Bali the next day I watched uh, Reanimator as <laughs> a fucking double feature of severed heads uh, going down on a woman. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> fucking trash fest 2016. Um, but Reanimator, I've seen Reanimator. I reviewed it a long time ago. I don't know when. 2010, something like that. And it's a fucking dope movie. I mean, if you like you like horror movies and specifically like fucked up horror comedies <laughs> like because a lot of the comedy in reanimator is kind of subtle like it would be easy to watch it and not even notice that it's supposed to be funny and it would still work but if you get that they're they're going for funny also, which I don't know, it's not that hard to see that too. It's it's a fucking blast, and so that's definitely good. If you haven't seen it, definitely see it. Um, it's uh, it's pretty wild. So if you're not into that, you know, your movies, it, I don't know, I'm just fucking mumbling now. <laughs> just an old man on the corner. Uh, okay, and then today I watched a couple of movies. I watched Troma's uh, B.C. Butcher, which was directed by Kansas Bowling. And at the time that she directed the movie, she was uh, the tender age of 17. And for a 17-year-old uh, debut movie, it's fucking, it's pretty good. And I mean... Like even if I didn't know, I think I gave it more, more uh, leeway if I didn't know, um, because I, well, whatever. I'm confused now. What what am I saying? Um, I think if I didn't know she was 17 and I just watched the movie, I would be harder on it. But it's fun, so I don't. I mean, considering that she was 17 is pretty impressive given the amount of shit that's going on like it's not like a super complex movie or anything but but there's like a bunch of costumes and there's like a bunch of music it's it's mixed like sound mixed well and there's just a just a lot that went into it you can tell that there's just a lot of work there um and also just uh, a lot of passion, like real excitement for movies and making movies. And so it's just, it's kind of infectious, you know, it's kind of fun just to see somebody with a lot of energy make a movie. Um, and, and Troma is like a perfect fit for it. It's not super out there in terms of gore or anything. There's not really really much gore at all there's a little bit but it's uh it's a perfect kind of like uh there's like some dumb sound effect jokes <laughs> just like stupid fucking drama like sound effects that just are just 
there for no reason that make me laugh. And it, that's like such a trauma thing. Anyway, it's good. I, I would I would call it good. And I look forward to uh, the next thing that uh, Kansas Bowling is going to do. Uh, and then uh, after that, I watched Witchboard, one of my favorite uh, horror movies. I can't, like, there's no real reason why it should rank as high as it does for me. Like, I mean, it's not that great, but every time I watch it, I just have a fucking blast, like, start to finish. There's a lot of really, like, dumb, over-the-top dialogue that's funny, and it's not like it's bad, but it's just, I could see people saying, ah, oh, this is a movie stupid, but I just, I fucking love it. <laughs> I just love everything about it. Um, fucking Ouija boards and just fucking axes to the face, like supernatural seances and shit. I don't know. It, there's something about it, like the way that it's put together. It's, it's really well shot. There's a lot of fun to it. It doesn't. It doesn't like. Uh, it doesn't slow down really at all. It just starts. Like the first scene is like in the middle of a party. You're just kind of dumped into it. You've got these characters that are kind of arguing already when it starts, and so you're just lumped into this this setting, trying to figure it out. Okay, so what's going on? We're kind of like in the middle of this. And it really never slows down from then. It's it's well paced. It's fun. They go to Big Bear at one point, and you know, the, <laughs> what's what's not to like? <laughs> Fucking Witchboard. It's it's a good one, definitely. And so that's uh, that's gonna be it. So uh, that's the show. Uh, if you have any feedback. Uh, go ahead and send an email to me at will at silveremulsion.com and if you have any thoughts on any of the movies uh, or thoughts about the show in general, whatever, just send it in. Uh, upcoming on the site this week, which is going to be uh, the last week before Halloween. Halloween is Monday of uh, the week after next. Or actually, you're this is going to come out the 24th, so it would be Monday of next week. Um, so uh, on this week, I got uh, the David Dakota movie The Brotherhood, which was the first movie of his uh, his company, Rabbit Heart, <laughs> Rabbit, <laughs> Rapid Heart Productions. Um, and then uh, I have a, another Shaw Brothers movie. Uh, from Kuei Chi Hung, and this one actually he he overtook the production from another director. Um, anyway, that movie is called Curse of Evil. So that's that's what's going on on the site. And Stephen also has a review too, but I don't I don't remember what it's called. He just sent it in. It's called Dark Cat. So look for that. I don't know anything about it at this point. Um, so, are you excited? <laughs> I know I sound excited. <laughs> uh, I'm fucking tired. My throat's all dry. Jesus. Ugh.
Well, unless I edit this, this is gonna be the longest one. Oh, jeez. They keep getting longer. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Anyway, um, so, so that's the show. Thanks for listening. Um, I'll, uh, talk to you later. Adios.